Well, good morning, Fox Valley Church. My name is Brad. I'm the worship pastor here, but I have a chance to bring the word to you this morning. And so excited, uh, Pastor Tom uh, opened our series last week on change. And Pastor Tom brought us into how the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes us in different ways. And so what's new is our position with God. What's new is the way we deal with sin. What's new is our purpose as we try to live according to the plans and purposes of God. But what stays is sin. What stays is the devil is on a leash, and so there's this rub, right? We want to change, but it's so stinking hard to actually do, and that is why we're doing this series to help you change and grow and see fruit in your life. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn to it. I love that Kate, our worship leader, brought us into 1 Peter already. It's like we know what we're doing here at Fox Valley Church when we plan worship sets, right? So you got a little context already of what's going on. So as you turn to 1 Peter, let me just uh, briefly kind of describe what's going on. Uh, This book is to encourage most likely newer, younger believers who are struggling. They're being persecuted. They are wrestling. And so Peter is saying, listen, God has chosen you. He says that in verse 1 and 2. He is, he's chosen you. He's elected you. And so we know this, this book is written to Christians. He's elected you into what? Into a living hope. He's caused you to be born again into a living hope. And so there's this hope that you have now as a believer. And he says, actually, it's kept in heaven for you. It's unfading. I have a focus on eternity because I have a place prepared for you. And then he goes on, Peter goes on to talk about godly conduct. Because of this hope we have, despite sufferings, we should live holy, obedient lives, have godly conduct. So our scripture now picks up in verse uh, 22. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, uh, would you do that? And I'm going to notate, just as we read it, a couple of uh, the important words that we're going to unpack in our text this morning. This is the word of God. 1 Peter 1, verse 22 to 25, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Would you pray with me? Father, we get to study your word this morning. Would you open our eyes and reveal your spiritual truths to us this morning? God, would you use me as a servant, God, to just proclaim the good news of Jesus and what this means in our lives today? We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. 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 You can go ahead and be seated. Here's what's going to happen, church family. I am going to take about 10 minutes, uh, and I'm going to get a little heady, okay? I'm going to get a little heady. I'm going to get a little theological. Some of you love that. Others of you don't. But don't worry. Then for about the next hour and a half, I'm going to get really practical, (laughs) okay? I'm just kidding. Uh, We're going to get really heady for like 10 minutes, but then the next 20 minutes after that are just going to be practically unpacking what this looks like. But I think it's important for us to understand our text. What does this mean? What is it saying? And what does it mean for me to change and my life look differently? Uh, So starting out, I just want to focus here. Our entire passage is around this idea of loving one another earnestly. 
Everything that happens before it and that happens after it is pointing back to the imperative of the passage. That is a command. This whole passage is about loving one another earnestly. And uh, you'll may, you may notice here, it's interesting enough, he says love, love, right here, back to back. Those are actually uh, two different words. Uh, this first one here is Philadelphia in Greek. That's Philadelphia. And it means familial love, brotherly love. And fun fact, that is what Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is known for, the city of brotherly love. It actually gets it from the Greek word there. Uh, and then this word here next to it is agape, agape love. And that involves sacrificial love. That involves action. And so just want to define uh, some of these uh, terms for us. And then this word here, earnestly, becomes uh, very critical that we understand exactly what it is. So I'm not a Greek expert, uh, but it's the Greek word ektenes, and it's used to describe the muscles of an athlete straining, right, strenuously uh, running a race or lifting a weight. That is how uh, this word is used to describe. And so, uh, does anyone here, maybe you're an athlete or do you lift weights or something? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, a few shy people, you know, those, those weight lifters, right? Flex your bicep as you raise your hand in the air. When you, when you uh, lift weights or you, you train fervently, what you're doing is you're actually trying to break and tear your muscle to build it back stronger. It's this idea of great intensity, and that's what the word means. Also, this was used in Luke twenty-two forty-four about Jesus. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's pretty intense, right? So as we uh, talk about loving one another and we talk about doing so earnestly, that is the type of activity and perseverance and strength I want you uh, to see with that word. I want you to keep that in mind. Now, this first sentence, I don't anticipate probably any of you know what he's actually saying. And it was confusing, and so I looked into it, and I studied, and that's why I'm here to serve you. I just want to unpack a few of these terms. It says, having uh, purified your souls... How have we purified our souls? Well, by your obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the truth. And I think it becomes really important that we understand what this means. What is our obedience to the truth? Because whatever it is, that is how we are purified, and that is why we are supposed to love one another earnestly. So I am going to uh, not take you through my hours of studying of how I got there. I'm just going to very uh, briefly uh, tell you is that this uh, obedience to the truth, it can't be your love and your following of God's law, that you have worked to shove sin aside so hard and following the law of God that now you are right and you have purified your souls. In fact, this word here, not only would that be kind of against the gospel, this word for right here is telling us that your obedience to the truth, it leads to brotherly love. It doesn't include it, it leads to it. So uh, this morning, and I want to actually, let me bring in two quick passages because I think it just gives a little support, and that's Acts 15.9. It says, having cleaned or purified their hearts by faith. Faith has purified their hearts. In Romans 1.5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring out the obedience of faith. Here we see in other scriptures that, that faith purifies us and that faith is our obedience. So the first sentence here is this, obedience is faith and truth is the gospel. 
You have purified and made new because of your faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You are purified and you're made new. Your obedience is faith and trust in the gospel, uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now that we understand this verse, we're going to move forward a little bit because Peter says you have been born again. And earlier in the chapter, in verse 3 and 4, there's this amazing verse that most Christians really, really love. We've been born again into a living hope, right, that will never perish, that will never uh, fail. And it's so encouraging. And this idea of being born again, he picks back up on here. He picks back up on this in verse uh, 23, since you have been born again. But he doesn't explain it because he's already done that earlier in the chapter. This this, uh, word phrase literally translates to mean born from above, born from above, rebirth, right? It's saying, it's contrasting your physical birth to your spiritual birth, and the theological term for this is called regeneration. Say that with me, regeneration. Regeneration. Regeneration Regeneration or being born again is God making us spiritually alive as a result of faith in Jesus Christ. God making us spiritually alive as a result of faith in Jesus Christ. So what's new? You are made spiritually alive. You have been given the Spirit of God inside of you. This is a moment in time. It's something that's already happened if you're a Christian. And for me, this happened when I was seven years old. I was a little Brad was seven years old, and he was sitting in a Baptist church in Slidell, Louisiana, when God grabbed hold of my heart. I know everyone was wondering what I looked like when I was seven, right? <laughs> Here you go. Not, not too shabby, actually. Picked up a couple girls in my day, I got to say. Um, God grabbed hold of this kid's heart, and he purified my soul. I was sitting in a pew, and I realized I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And, I, and you know, the Southern Baptist way, the altar call, I came walking down. I talked to the preacher. I said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And he prayed with me. And something powerful happened. I was given a new heart. I was given the Holy Spirit to live in a radical way. And I got to say, in some ways, I, I did. I can look back at my life when I was a nine-year-old, and I was this little evangelist. I remember sharing the gospel uh, with a guy named Sean Deshane. I was nine years old. And I was like, this is what you need. This is the hope that you can have. And he got saved. And But... Did I continue to just change the way God wanted me to change and produce fruit? No. Ask my parents. Ask my wife. No. There's this tension, right? There's sin in the world. There's the evil one who's looking to devour, right? But God has a plan to change us. He had a plan to change me. And that plan is really what we're talking about in this series, is when you become a Christian, how do you change? The theological word for this is sanctification, I promise, I'm almost through some of the heady uh, words here, but it's sanctification, it's God's work in changing us to be more like Christ. Once you're saved, once you're born again, then it it initiates the sanctification uh, process. Side note, I think as a parent with little kids, uh, one of the most sanctifying parts of all life is is your kids, right? That's not what I'm preaching about today at all, but I just got to throw it out there, man. Is parenting ever so sanctifying? But God initiates this work in us, and that's what, that, that's what Peter is saying. This has happened. You have been purified, but we know in all of Scripture, it points that we have responsibility. We have ongoing obedience that we are supposed to do. It's to obey the living and abiding Word of God. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And in our text this morning, that obedience is getting worked out through loving one another earnestly. All this godly conduct that Peter sets up right before our text, 
right before we got to where we got to, it's, it's setting up this idea that we are to love one another earnestly. Obedience is loving one another earnestly. In a sense, Peter is saying that love is the evidence of our salvation. And I'm going to argue this morning, it's the, a prime way for us as God's people to change. My main idea is that change happens through loving one another earnestly. Change happens through loving one another earnestly. Love is important. We, we think about love. I think of the Beatles song, all you need is love, love. Culturally, people love love. And as Christians, we love love. But how often do we actually think about it being a chief way that we are changed internally by the way that we love other people? In fact, it was so important to Jesus that he said, listen, the way that you uh, are identified as a follower of me, the prime way you're identified as a follower of me is by the way that you love one another. It's important to him. Wow, that people would look at you. Man, you forgave that person after what they did to you? You must follow Jesus, right? Wow, why are, are you praying for that person and, and bringing them a meal when you just met them? You, you clearly must follow Jesus, right? And we could go on and on and unpack uh, what that looks like. But the change that so much of us want to see in our lives, I do think it's going to uh, come from loving one another earnestly. And I'm going to unpack practically three ways that earnestly loving others brings change in our lives. The first is this, loving one another changes our focus. Loving one another uh, changes our focus. We already discussed the beginning of the chapter. Peter says, listen, you've been elect by God. It's God that chose you. Focus on him. Focus on eternity, this living hope that you've been given. And notice in, in that text, if, if you've read it or you look and flip back in First Peter a little bit earlier in verse 3 and 4, it doesn't say through your strong and hard work and your efforts you've been born again. It says, no, according to his great mercy, he has caused God's mercy has caused the action. So first, think of God. That's what Peter's saying. Think about God. Take the focus off of yourself and look vertically to God. And now he's saying that you've done that. And Pastor Tom beautifully brought us in last week, this idea of focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now Peter is saying, focus on other people. Love one another earnestly. And we are so uh, self-focused in our culture today. Amen? Amen. I mean, we are so focused on, on self, and I do think that prevents us from a lot of change. You don't have to go far. I don't have to go far. My kids, they absolutely love looking at pictures or videos of themselves. Anybody else, right? Your kids get, uh, my kids get so much entertainment out of watching them do something, even if it's the dumbest thing. It's nothing, right? They laugh, again, daddy, again, daddy. I want to keep looking at myself again, daddy, right? But we're really no different. If you, uh, just as a case study, if you take a group photo, and there's, a, there's numerous people in it, and then you get to look at the photo, who's the first person that you look at? <laughs> you look at yourself. You know what I mean? How do I look? Am I making that weird smile thing? Are my arms in good position? You know what I mean? You want to see how you look. We always think about and look at ourselves. In Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 uh, Paul says something that is just really, really hard to live out, but he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Earnestly loving people takes our focus from ourself and puts it on other people. C.S. Lewis has a quote, and maybe some of you have heard this, but it's worth being reminded of because it's so good. He says 
this, C.S. Lewis, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Right? We often think humility is a quiet person who's not loud and, and doesn't boast, but that person may think of themselves all day long, right? Humility is actually being concerned with other people. It's actually looking to the interest of other people, and this is so countercultural. It goes against every Instagram feed I have, right? Everything is like, what's going to make you happy, and, and you do you, and here's a way to have your best life. And when you look at the scriptures, yeah, there's some positive self-talk. There's a place for that in the Christian life. Don't get me wrong. But so much of it is pointing to think about and love other people and serve other people. And just a quick note, uh, just real practically for the men. You know, I'm a, I'm a man. I feel a little more comfortable speaking uh, to the men here. And so if you're a husband or a dad, just the next time you're in, a, in an argument with your, with your spouse or your kids, just be very careful, right? That you, you're in a moment where you know you're right or you want to prove that you're right. The person that wins the argument is often the one who looks less like Jesus, you know? And, and as James says, he says, God opposes the proud, but he's near to the humble. Be careful that in winning that argument, you don't have opposition with God. You don't make God a, an enemy, right? Just a, a little practical advice. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about serving that person in the moment. It's not about even this is exactly what this said or what this means. It's about how can I serve my wife or my kids in this moment and care for them and love them. I'm preaching to myself. Amen. Preaching to myself. Um, but as we take the focus off of ourselves, we find that our affections then start to change. Because when we're focused on ourselves, right, we have uh, a selfishness, uh, a pride. When we're focused on others, all of a sudden it changes uh, the way we feel. It changes the things we think about and desire. And I'm going to bring this out in, in just a couple ways. The first is, is through bearing one another's burdens, because as you start serving people and you start caring for people and, and you start thinking of people, what's going to happen is you're going to start bearing their burdens with them. And that, that gets really hard, right? At Galatians 6.2, the Apostle Paul says, he commands, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. As we start to feel right? As we're focused on something else, our, our affections, what we desire starts to line up with Christ more, and He desires people, and He loves people. And as we start to do that, we walk and we bear one another's burdens. This word bear would typically mean to carry away, and the word burden usually meant weight. So in our context, Paul is saying, carry the weight that others are carrying. Carry the weight that others are carrying. This is perfectly demonstrated, beautifully demonstrated, painfully demonstrated with Simon of Cyrene. Y'all remember him? Jesus is being beaten and flogged and bruised, and he's supposed to carry his cross up to Calvary, and he can't do it. And Simon of Cyrene takes that physical weight onto his back, and he carries it up for Jesus. This picture of, of really bearing with one another. It means uh, caring for someone enough that your affections are, are driven toward them. You feel and you take on some of that weight for them. I, I just thought of the, if you all have seen Encanto, the Disney movie, um, but right, there's that song where all the burdens and the weights are falling down on one of the sisters. It's taking one of those weights and saying, hey, I'll carry one of those for you. So I just have to ask you, church family, uh, whose weight are you carrying? Whose weight are you carrying? In Romans twelve fifteen, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I'll share for me, 
Uh, I'm just going to call this person Ruth. Um, I preached a sermon series this summer on Ruth, and I like the name, but, but I'm not talking about someone actually named Ruth. So if your name is Ruth and you're visiting with us today, don't panic. I'm not talking about you. But, um, but there's someone in my life, we'll call her Ruth, and uh, she's part of our body, and she is, she's feeling those weights. I mean, the north wind has blown. So many things have happened in her life that are hard, that are difficult, And so Emily and I, my wife and I, we have a decision. Are we going to just focus on our burdens? Because we got enough, y'all. We do. We have enough burdens. I feel like, I I, I don't know, I I just would like to carry my own, you know. But in this moment, are are we going to help Ruth out? And so what we've done is we've invited her over to our home. What we've done is we've chose to pray for her and make that a priority, had some tears over her. Her And actually, I feel the weight of it. I do. As a pastor, as a friend, I feel a little heavier because of carrying that weight. But I hope that makes her feel a little lighter. This is one way uh, you can do this by just asking people. Like, hopefully, you're in a life group or you've got a small group of community that you're walking through. But ask people before you say what you need, how can I pray for you? What can I do for you tangibly this week? How can I carry a burden? The other way I, I want to kind of move away now to this idea of forgiveness. Now, I know forgiveness can be a behavior thing at times. There's a transaction, but it's really more a matter of the heart. Having forgiveness in your heart for someone. When your affections change, you decide to forgive. And we know that forgiveness is a popular thing to do in the world. It's not popular in saying people like it, but people advise it. Any good counselor, any good secular counselor will tell you it is bad for you to hold anger and resentment. It is not good for you. It's not good for your soul. But as you're a Christian, your motivation, as you become a Christian, your motivation changes. I don't just forgive to make myself feel better, right? Because you're the one that's bondage and bondage and hold hostage if you're not forgiving someone. I, I do it not because that person deserves it, but because I didn't deserve it and Jesus forgave me, right? Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ God has forgiven you, right? We have sinned and rebelled against a holy God, and someone has to pay. If God is going to be just, someone has to pay. And the scriptures tell us that God loved you and me so much that he sent his one and only son as both God and man to come to this earth to live a perfect life that you and I couldn't live and to die on the cross for our sin. And then he conquered death. He was raised again. And that is our hope as Christians. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be purified in your soul. And that is how we're able to forgive and how we're able to love earnestly because it's hard, right? Forgiving someone that has hurt you is hard. And I just want to give an opportunity to pause and say, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus, if you've never had your soul purified, if you've never been obedient to the truth, the truth of faith and the gospel message, if you uh, pray God is concerned about your heart more than your words, but if you uh, pray, God, I'm a sinner, I need saving, and I believe that Jesus lived that life for me, and he died on the cross for my sin, I confess that you were raised from the dead, and you are who I put my trust and my hope in, not my own good works or any other idols, right? If you proclaim that you will be saved, you're regenerated, and tell someone about it. Come forward for prayer and tell someone about it. Share it with me. Share it with the person next to you, someone from our prayer life team, so we can help come alongside you and change you. In Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22, Peter asked Jesus, he goes, hey, yo, Jesus, uh, how often uh, do I have to forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? 
seven times, you know? It, it, it's brother and sister, right? So he's saying other Christians. So it's very practical for you if you're asking Jesus, Jesus, how often do I have to forgive uh, someone at Fox Valley Church who has sinned against me? Do I have to really forgive them seven times? And Jesus goes, 77 times, right? 77 times. I wish that in a church community there wasn't sin, and I wish uh, there wasn't brokenness and hurt, but there is. This is a hospital for people that just probably recognize they're broken and hurt. Maybe that gives us a little bit of an advantage than walking around blindly thinking we're all good. You've probably heard the phrase, there's no hurt like church hurt. And we can hurt each other especially when we're focused on ourselves, right? We don't want to forgive what people have done to hurt us. So what typically happens when someone hurts you in a church, what tends to happen way more than I would like to see in my heart is people just leave. You can think of almost any relationship. It doesn't have to just stick in a church. You could think of a friendship. Things get hard, and what happens? I'm out. This person is hard to deal with. Let me just say, church is filled with what we call EGRs, extra grace required people. A lot of y'all out there are EGRs, you know? You're hard to deal with. I can be an EGR. I need extra grace for you to deal with me. But what happens is when we actually sit together and hear each other and forgive one another, change takes place. I want to preface just saying this. I'm not saying that there's never a time to leave a church or leave a relationship. That's not what I'm saying. But I want to make just this bold statement, the hurt that's causing you to leave may just be the agent that God is using to change you internally. I could preach on this for hours. Dealing with hard people makes me a better person and changes me. It's, it's hard work. But sitting there and, and, and someone saying, Brad, you have hurt me, but I'm not going to leave. I'm going to talk to you about it. Here's what you said. Here's what you did. And here's how I feel. And I can just say, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to do that. I, I, I didn't even know I did that. Or I did it and I was caught in my mess and I screwed up. Would you forgive me? And we got to do that work. So much change will take place in your heart if you don't run away from difficult, challenging things. My last thing I want to say on this is I, I just want to add, if you've been wounded or abused, hurt deeply, I'm not trying to undermine that or say there's not significance to that or that God doesn't care deeply about that. But here's the hope you have as a Christian with forgiveness is that God will come back and judge and vindicate. That is not your job. God will come back and, and vindicate that situation. And so until then, make every effort to keep the unity and the spirit of peace. If it's at all possible, live at peace with everyone. That's what the scriptures tell us. We got to forgive each other. So as we love one another, our focus changes to others, our affections start to change, and then it results in changed behavior. And changed behavior in a lot of different ways, right? But I'm just going to highlight two, serving and uh, repentance and confession. So loving one another changes our behavior. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. God came to serve us. He loved us so earnestly that he actually died on the cross for us. You know, Jesus models this so perfectly. That Pastor Tom has just given him a little um, credit. He has done such a good job of helping me as a young pastor see the importance of serving and service 
That's what I'm here to do. It's to serve you. That's my job, right? And we're supposed to serve other people. And Jesus demonstrates this so beautifully when he washed the disciples' feet. Some of you know uh, the story, or at least the cultural background of this, is washing feet was kind of a nasty job. I mean, just think about it. They didn't have closed-toed shoes. A lot of times they walked around barefoot or with sandals. And so usually a servant or a slave would wash someone's feet. Even the Jewish servants oftentimes wouldn't wash people's feet because it was too beneath them. And so here Jesus is in the upper room. This is the last time he's got with his disciples. And here they are arguing about who's the greatest and who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus does one of the most amazing acts. He hits the floor on his knees. While they're talking about who is going to be the greatest, Jesus gets down and he washes their feet. That's our God. Isn't that an amazing, an amazing picture of our God? So I got to ask, whose feet have you washed recently? Don't be creepy. I don't mean literally, right? metaphorically, whose feet have you washed recently? Who have you uh, surrendered down in an actual act of humility, done something like washing someone's feet? That doesn't come normal, but earnestly isn't normal. Remember, earnestly is with everything you got. A real practical way we could unpack this, and I'm I'm not going to go too much into it because I could do a sermon on it, but is this idea of serving what does it look like to serve in your home, and your family? What does it look like to serve at church? You know, we have a serving wall out there in the foyer. If you're not serving, you're able to serve, do it. Is it because we need you? Eh, sort of, you know what I mean? We do need people. <laughs> we do need people. But more than that, I want you to serve because it changes your own heart and your own growth in God. That's why I want you to serve. Some of you, I don't know, I'll throw out a percentage, maybe 10% of you can't serve. Your life situation has put you in a spot right now where it's probably really not doable. But the other 90% of you serve. Just do it. As you focus on God and other people, how do you not serve? How do you not come and do I mean, I think about a church where 90% of the body is serving one another. That's an unbelievable um, thought of how powerful that would be. Uh, the other behavior change I want to I touch on, and this is the only, one out, the only additional one I'm going to do, although we could really unpack it, but is, is confessing sin. That's an action that you would never do, right, when you're just focused on yourself. But as you're focused on God, as you're focused on other people, and as your affections start to change, all of a sudden, there's this desire to tell people, I've messed up. I, I screwed up. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some of you think confession is between you and God. It's a vertical thing. That's true, but it's also a horizontal thing. Why? Because that's how you're healed. James says that's how you're healed. Yeah, you can go and confess your sin to God and he is just to forgive you. But if you want healing from that sin, you need to confess it to one another. How many of you have struggled with the same sin for a long time? You don't have to raise your hand, but you feel like a broken record, right? I, I've done the same thing for a long time. I think there's a direct correlation between authentic, right, brotherly love from a pure heart confession to one another and actually seeing change in your life. Here's how you do it. I mean, you've got to find someone you trust Get in a life group. In life groups, we have something called transformation groups. They're smaller groups that go deeper. And I just want to say, get specific. 
here's, I'm in a life group and I'm in a transformation group, but here's something for me it looks like is, I was at a worship conference for the EFCA, our denomination, uh, just a month ago, and I met somebody that's 10 years older than me. He's a worship pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I reached out to them and I said, Andy, uh, can I call you and just share specifically every like dark thing I have? Like, I, I don't want to generalize it. I want to get it all in the light. And then I want to give you the ability to speak into my life and allow God to use you to speak into my life. That's what I'm doing this week. Here's, I think, one of the problems is we view our sin like uh, isolated incidents, small parking infractions toward God. So I, I parked today in the guest parking lot at Fox Valley Church, but I've been here for 10 years, you know. Probably shouldn't have done that, but I did. It's okay. You know, or, or you stayed five extra minutes than what you paid in a, in a parking meter. Or if you're like Pastor Tom, he literally backs his Mazda 3 in and he blocks two spots because he's got, you know, he, barks his, he parks his car right in the middle of one of the lines and blocks two spots. I don't know, that's funny. Anyway, th- this, this idea that it's just this small little thing, it doesn't really matter, but that's not how God sees our sin. That's not how God sees our sin. So uh, if you, here's what this could look like. If you have an anger problem, don't tell someone, hey, I struggle with anger sometimes. Oh, okay, cool. I'll pray for you this week. No change is going to come about that way. You tell them, here is exactly what I said to my wife, to my kids, and how I said it. Someone did that recently, and it was very powerful, and you just saw there were tears and healing uh, got brought to that. Or if you have a pornography issue, don't say, hey, I struggle sometimes with lusting of my eyes. Oh, okay, I'll pray for that. No, say, here's exactly the websites and the things I'm doing, and I need to be healed, and I need help. I have a shopping problem. Here's exactly how much money and how many times I went to the store. I have an alcohol problem. Here's exactly how much I drink. And we could just go on and on and unpack these different things. But confess, when you become saved and you're changing, your affections are changing, you you confess your sin and healing, unbelievable healing can come from that. I could testify to that. Love one another earnestly. So how are you going to do that this week, uh, church family? I have just four action steps, four action steps. Uh, Serve one brother, serve one brother. Don't get caught on the genders here. This is just to show that we're a family, right? Who's one person in your family that you can serve Confess to one sister, here's my sin, or what I think might be sin. Bear one another's burden. Who can I take weight from uh, this week? Forgive uh, one sister. Who's someone that I know in my heart I need to forgive? I know that I need to just release this, right? Whatever it is. Um. When we do this, we get this picture. When we love earnestly, we get this picture of a biblical family. Uh, people who are serving one another, loving one another, confessing to one another, bearing one another's burdens, serving one another. This beautiful picture of a thriving uh, spiritual community. Peter goes on at, at the end of our text. He goes on and he quotes Isaiah 40. He says, uh, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This word is the good news that was preached to you. He's contrasting human frailty 
and how we're going to come and go with the eternal word of God that's going to live on forever. Interesting, he uses two different words here, two different words uh, in, in the Greek. The first one here, the living and abiding word of God, that's logos. That's the written word of God. That's how we've been born again. But then at the end, he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. And this word, that's rhema, that's the spoken word of God. And they're used in conjunction with each other, which is really helpful because that's just the truth. So what does that mean for you? It means that God's word will stand, will not fail, and it will go on. And you, as co-heirs with Christ, have an opportunity to speak the word of God to people. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You can speak the truth and word of God to unbelievers, to each other, because we all know we need the gospel on a daily basis, and to yourself. You have the opportunity to do that. God's word will not fail. People for thousands of years have tried uh, to silence the gospel message, but it will bow down to no one. It's not going to grow faint. It's not going to stop no matter how discouraged you are in culture today. God's word is going to endure forever. That's the truth that we can hold on to. It had the power to purify you, the power to birth the church, and the power for the Holy Spirit to light the flame to give us the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And therefore, right, love one another earnestly because of that hope that you have. Would you pray with me? Um, Father, thank you that you have purified our souls. Thank you for your living and abiding word of God that we can receive and now share with each other and share to others. Would we be part of your plan to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, God? Would we work toward that end? And as we uh, think about and participate in the story of Jesus Christ and what it means for us, would you give us great joy and, and the ability to love one another earnestly? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.